Podcast Network Asia. First Metrosec is providing this podcast as a general market commentary. Reference to any specific security, product, or entity do not constitute as an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed by the hosts are subject to change without notice and First Metrosec is under no obligation to update, amend, change, or correct any of the statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed. The statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view of First Metrosec. First Metrosec disclaims any liability arising from reliance on or reference to any information obtained in this podcast. You are listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast, where we feature timely and relevant discussions on the Philippine stock market and the economy in the hope of providing you investing and trading guidance. Here's your host, Royce Aguilar, from the Research Department at First MetroSec. Welcome to another episode of First Metro Securities Podcast. So I'm Royce Aguilar, Department Head for Retail Research. We have another special guest today, another guest from a listed name in the Philippine Stock Exchange. But before anything else, before we introduce our guest for today, let me introduce the company muna. Let me introduce IMI, Integrated Microelectronics Inc. So it's actually the manufacturing arm of AC Industrial Technology Holdings. It's a wholly owned subsidiary of Ayala Corporation and is among the leading global technology and manufacturing solutions expert in the world. IMI ranks 22nd in the list of top electronics manufacturing services providers in the world and 8th in the automotive EMS market based on 2021 revenues as per new venture research. And IMI specializes in highly reliable and quality electronics for long product life cycle segments such as automotive, industrial electronics, and more recently, the aerospace market. So from its 20 manufacturing plants across 10 countries, IMI provides engineering, manufacturing support and fulfillment capabilities to diverse industries globally. So let's talk about a bit about their earnings. If you take a look at your PSE in terms of the disclosures, a lot of companies, most companies already disclosed their 2022 earnings. So let's discuss IMIs. So they posted consolidated revenues of 1.41 billion US dollars for the year 2022. That's an 8% improvement compared to the previous year. If you talk about the quarter revenues for the fourth quarter were at 367 US dollars, that's 4.5% quarter and quarter improvement and 12% better than the same period last year. And then your gross profit for the quarter is at 33.3 million US dollars. That's a 9.1% margin. So despite the ongoing component shortage and supply chain challenges in 2022, IMI wholly owned subsidiaries continue to perform, achieving their fourth straight quarter of positive net income with 4.1 million US dollars in fourth quarter. So through the proactive steps taken to streamline the supply chain, rationalize global headcount and restructure product pricing, these core businesses ended the year with 11.5 million US dollars of net income. So talk about the recovery and of course we'll ask that later on. But first, let me introduce our guest. Mr. Brian Halihali, Global Head of Investor Relations, Business Development Finance of IMI. So, hi, Brian. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Hey, Royce. Good day to everyone. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us on your podcast. 
All right. Thank you. So we have a lot of questions about the company. Of course, there are only select companies of your industry listed in the PSE. So this is quite an opportunity for us to learn what's up with the industry and of course the company itself. We will tackle that bit by bit later on. But first question, if I may. IMI's gross income improved in 2022. I believe it's already higher compared to 2021 and 2020. So the question is, how was the company able to get passed through the, the COVID-19 pandemic, tapos the global supply chain issues? What were the measures implemented by the company that led to this recovery? So Brian, go ahead. Right. So I guess we start earliest in 2020, 2021. During the pandemic itself, the situation across all our sites was definitely very challenging. But since I and my sites are strategically located in manufacturing regions around the world, we're, we're considered as key employment providers in many of these areas. We're regularly awarded with Employers of the Year recognitions in many of our sites. We leverage this good relationship with local government offices, and we were able to coordinate the continuity of business activity in our facilities. It also helped that we were able to ship some of our production to the medical space during the pandemic, and we were granted essential business classification in many of our sites. This allowed us to resume production a bit earlier than other companies, albeit at a lower capacity. On the component shortage front, to be clear, we're still facing some headwinds when it comes to the global supply chain issues, though we are starting to see signs of improvement. We're not just waiting for the situation to solve itself. We've implemented several initiatives that have helped mitigate the financial impact of the shortages. So I guess I'll try my best to paint a picture of how the manufacturing process works. So, you know, on manufacturing on a massive scale, how it typically works is in a normal operating environment, an order would come in and we'd procure the raw materials needed to put together the order. So let's say out of could be 100 components to put together a single product. But due to the shortage of particular components, this model doesn't work efficiently these past two years because out of, say, you know, the 100 components that we mentioned, there may be two or three that are facing significant shortage constraints. So in a normal scenario, if you order the bill of materials of 100 lines worth of components, you might be sitting on the inventory of a 98% completed product that are just waiting on two or three components before we're able to complete the order and ship them out to the customers. This would have ballooned inventory levels on the balance sheet. And especially during the pandemic, cash flow was really something we were focusing on and managing. So as soon as we saw early signs of the component shortage, because this wasn't a one-time deal where suddenly everything was in shortage. It was a gradual, although a fast buildup of the component shortage. But as soon as we saw signs, we started honing what they call a best-can-do approach. So what we do is instead of ordering the 100 components immediately, we identify the components that are most challenged, and then we order everything else so that all the components arrive in our factory floors all at the same time. So this would lead to a longer lead time for the customers, but they would have waited anyway. So at least with this approach, cash flow is preserved and the manufacturing activities themselves go a lot more efficiently as well. But whenever we can, we take initiative in identifying alternative components for our customers as well. These could be components that are more readily available, but they could also be more expensive. And they will shorten the overall timeline of the ordering and manufacturing process. 
So some of our revenue, we were able to apply alternative components and push the products out faster. But because of the niche where IMI sits in the manufacturing space, we focus on high complexity segments where each component goes through a very thorough certification process, especially since we deal with automotive safety, aerospace products, and other very sensitive components. So these opportunities are not very common, at least in the current space where we operate. But this leads to the other activity that really helped in protecting our margins in 2022. Since we have great working relationships with many of the key players in the industry, everyone is in tune with the operating environment that we're all facing. So even as far back as 2021, we've opened discussions with our customers and sharing the burden of the elevated costs we've been seeing. In 2022 alone, we were able to realign about $20 million worth of elevated costs through price renegotiations that otherwise would have burdened our margins. So it was just a matter of explaining to the customer, hey, components are more expensive now. Freight costs are still elevated. Some labor situations are leading to higher labor costs. For this to be a sustainable working partnership, we need to pass off some of these costs to the customers through increased prices. And thankfully, our customers have been mostly receptive. And that really showed in our margins for 2022. Yeah, that actually brings me to the next question. But thank you for answering extensively the first question. A lot of our clients will definitely, our listeners also will definitely appreciate that, especially given how the supply chain has been ongoing since the pandemic. That brings us to the next question in terms of your margins. So just to provide some reference for our listeners, the company's 2022 cost of goods sold grew at a slower pace. Than revenues, which is good. And along with favorable price adjustments, this led to the improvement in gross margin quarter and quarter to 9.1% in fourth quarter as compared to 8.1% last third quarter and 6.9% last fourth quarter 2021. So it's an overall improvement. So the question is, do you expect margins to be sustained this year? Or perhaps if the whole year is quite difficult to forecast, how about for the next quarter or the like? So go ahead. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Our margins are mostly driven by direct material costs. Uh, if you take a peek at our financials, it could be between 60 to 70% of our revenues are direct material costs. So that's really the main driver that dictates our profitability for any certain period. We're not a company that gives uh, detailed guidance on, on forward-looking numbers, but I can say that we've been seeing signs of the component situation improving even further. And along with the efficiency initiatives that we've enacted, as you mentioned, we're already seeing some return to better profitability in our financial results. If all goes well, then yes, we're hoping for margins to maintain or even improve further. But there are still some uncertainties left in the market. The recovery of the component situation is not a defined timeline. Plus, there are other macroeconomic factors that also play into our financial results. We experienced that with the Russia-Ukraine war, the tightening of the labor situation in Europe and Mexico, and even the fiscal policies of the U.S. government had an effect on our financials. You know, when they were adjusting their inflation rates, the U.S. dollar spiked in value against the euro in the middle of last year. I think at a certain point, it came to parity between the U.S. dollar and the euro, right? And since we have a lot of euro-denominated contracts for most of our businesses out of Bulgaria, Czech Republic and Serbia, 
the revenue numbers we saw in Q2 and Q3 of 2022 were lower than we had expected, even if these factories were generating the same or even greater amount of volume just because of how the Forex market works. The financials that we were consolidating in our financial earnings reports were lower in this period for these manufacturing sites. Understood. So thank you, Brian, for that. Now let's tackle each of your segments. So you have a wide range of segments that, again, not a lot of companies listed in the Philippines cover. So let's talk first about the automotive segment. And this is usually IMI's biggest contributor in terms of revenues. And based on your annual report in 2021, the company disclosed that more than 50% of the newly acquired projects are related to the electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. So the question is, is electrification of the mobility market the main focus of IMI for this segment? And how much upside is there in the EV market that you're covering? All right. So for the past several decades, IMI's calling card has been high complexity and high reliability solutions. More than 10 years ago, when the push for automated driving was just starting, we were already focused on the devices that would enable this technology like promotive cameras and other ADAS applications. ADAS would be Advanced Driver Assistance System. But as with all these technologies, these eventually go mainstream and the manufacturing of these components become commoditized. And with commoditization comes lower prices, lower margins. It eventually becomes a game of pure scale and capital, like how the, I guess, manufacturing for consumer mobile handsets is now. So it's purely a game of, as I said, scale and capital. And this isn't the space we're trying to compete in because IMI's value really is in our technological know-how, our design and development, and really pushing towards the cutting edge of technology. So right now, electric vehicles are all the buzz, but we're still actually pretty early in the adoption cycle of this technology. While some competitors would only come in when adoption is already very high and demand volumes are massive, there's still a lot of value in helping the design and development in the early stages. And that's where IMI can really contribute and generate profitability for the company. There's a massive amount of upside in the global EV market, and we're out to capture as much market share as we can as one of the early players in the space. In addition to just purely EV four-wheel vehicles, our expertise in assembling KTM motorcycles for the Ayala Group, which at first seemed quite a bit out of left field for an electronics manufacturing company like IMI, but this experience and expertise allowed us entry into the EV motorcycle market. We recently announced our partnership with Zero Motorcycles, a world leader in electric motorcycles based in California, USA. We're very excited about this partnership and the future opportunities that this would bring to IMI. Aside from the financial rewards of the EV market, IMI, along with the rest of the Ayala Corporation companies, we're a firm advocate of promoting sustainability for the future. We believe that technology plays a crucial role in enabling a majority of the green initiatives that we're seeing. And our role in the EV space really goes beyond just the financial returns uh, in EV and sustainable energy. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for that. We're also excited in terms of the prospects of this segment. And of course, I'm also excited on how listed companies across the world, across other region are focused on ESG. Of course, your companies also focus on that. So that's why it's getting a lot of attention as well. 
Lagi ka bang nag-OT tapos OTY? Meron ka bang mga salbahing boss at pabidang mga office mates? Nako, isa kang immortal. I'm Stanley Chi from The Underpaid Podcast. We talk about work-related topics na parang nagchichismisan lang sa pantry. It's a pro-employee podcast na relatable sa lahat ng nag-opisina, pumapasok man, petics, o work from home. Listen and subscribe to The Underpaid Podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. Kita-kits, mga immortal. Moving on to the next segment, the industrial segment. Um, this is IMI's second biggest contributor in terms of revenues. Usually, it was mentioned in your reports and earnings call that connectivity is the other major focus point of your industrial business unit. Can you elaborate on the specific products that will drive IMI's significant presence in key regions of the world? Right. So our industrial segment, historically, used to be anchored on security products like biometric security systems and electronic access infrastructure. But more and more, we're seeing demand for interconnectivity in other areas of technology. In recent years, uh, we were doing a lot of business in asset tracking of cargo. And it kind of dovetails nicely with our mobility business in automated driving. Because through people's phones and computers, there's already a lot of devices that enable people to be interconnected in their everyday lives. But we believe that it's really in the vehicle, the home, and the workspace where there's still a lot of untapped demand for interconnectivity. Some automated driving features that will start to come in in the next few years. In smart cities that are starting to pop up in several countries around the world. Uh, And then for connectivity in home, we're already involved in smart metering of utilities, which are automatically communicated to a larger framework. This allows for more efficient utilization of energy. And actually, this same technology is also being utilized in some manufacturing facilities that allow for better monitoring of utility expenses and, you know, will drive down costs for manufacturing companies as well. Got it. So thank you. Thank you for elaborating uh, the products. That's quite a lot of products in your portfolio, and that's only for the industrial segment. And this is another interesting segment that you're exposed at, specifically the aerospace, defense, as well as the consumer businesses. Of course, feel free to elaborate on perhaps your guidance or perhaps the business itself. But the point of this question here is it seems like the challenging market environment, limited component availability are the key headwinds for these segments. So the question is, what is your supply-demand outlook for electronics components as a whole this year? What are the challenges and opportunities that you see that could influence the supply and demand for the segment, for these segments this year? When we earlier talked about how we mitigated the effects of the component shortage, I mentioned the identification of alternative components helping alleviate some of the difficulties of the component situation. But because of the certification requirement, the opportunities for these are very limited in sensitive segments like automotive. And the same constraints are even more stringent in the aerospace and defense sector, where you might not have as much scale, but the mechanisms in place to ensure safety and reliability are even more magnified in aerospace and defense. There isn't a lot we can do in the supply side other than manage things that we can control because allocation of the components right now mostly go to laptops and cell phones and more and more automotive. So that's not something we can easily influence, but we're actively pushing on the demand side, securing business contracts wherever and whenever we can. 
there's a significant increase in interest in aerospace and defense that we've seen in the past year. Perhaps this is partly driven by the geopolitical environment in most of the countries in the globe. But there's a lot more we can do as soon as the supply market stabilizes. Because IMI isn't the only company facing these challenges. These are industry-wide, and all the players in the industry have to solve similar issues that we're seeing. We're just better positioned that our end markets are relatively diversified, and we're flexible enough that we can shift business attention to where we can extract the most value. So right now, aerospace and defense are you know less than 10% of our total revenue. And as we wait for the supply side to normalize and improve, the other segments like mobility and industrial are able to offset some of the challenges that we're seeing in the aerospace and defense segment. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for elaborating the segments and your demand outlook for the electronics components. As analysts, we have been listening to companies' earnings call, right? Of course, and we communicate that to our clients. And just to elaborate a bit on this one, the company disclosed that it plans to exit the low-margin telco business. Does the company have any other segments that it plans to exit from or perhaps any segments that you're on the lookout for expansion, perhaps new segment besides the automotive, industrial, aerospace, defense, consumer that you're currently looking into? All right. So as I mentioned earlier, we're not trying to compete in the space where margins are low, but volumes are massive. Even in the telco space, we're not doing anything for consumer-level mobile phones. Our telco business is actually mostly centered around infrastructure devices that enable 5G. But as these technologies have become more mainstream and the rest of the industry has caught up to what was initially seen as groundbreaking and highly complex, these products also fall out of IMI's target segment. So yes, before the next generation of telco technology comes, the current products are going down further in IMI's spectrum of profitable markets. And instead of investing and deploying capital to build next generation products in automotive and industrial markets, we see a lot of value in exiting out of the low margin businesses instead and repurposing the land, the factory space, and the machinery to support more profitable businesses instead. So on other segments we're looking to expand on, aside from automotive, industrial, and aerospace, the medical segment is also a space where our experience in high quality and high reliability solutions would be very useful. There are high barriers to entry in this segment due to the safety and the certification requirement, but it's a segment we're interested in and are actively uh, building teams to support growth in the segment and to, to scout opportunities where, where we can add value to the company. Got it. Thank you. So yeah, the medical space, I actually saw that in your presentations in the middle of the pandemic that you saw uh, better demand during the pandemic. And I think IMI was able to capture some of those during the course of the pandemic. So the next question is regarding countries you're exposed to, the region you're exposed to, because you're exposed to a lot of countries, Philippines, China, US, Serbia, and others. And I think the question here is, which countries region that IMR exposed are expected to outperform this year? Any other countries? And of course, are there any other countries that you're on the lookout for? New business, perhaps something that you can disclose. Mm-hmm. There's already a relatively high degree of utilization in our Philippines, China, and Bulgaria sites, particularly with new business coming in and ramping up in these sites as well. But there's a lot of new businesses that were scheduled to ramp up in our Czech Republic 
and our newest site in Serbia as well. We have a well-established network of engineering, design, and development expertise in Europe. And the technological know-how that has allowed our Bulgarian facilities to really succeed are being shared with these smaller sites as well. They're also now starting to do EV-related products and will continue to do so as we win more business in this high-margin segment. Aside from Europe, geographically, we have identified a trend of customers onshoring manufacturing activities back to North America. In our view, this will isolate business operations from the geopolitical issues that we started to see in China and Europe this past year. In this context, we are excited to bring focus on two expansion initiatives in the North American region. First, in Mexico, we'll be utilizing our capacity in the region to bring in more scale and complex capability to cater to the uptick in both existing and new customer demand we've been seeing for Mexico. Aside from Mexico, we also have a smaller facility in Tustin, California. They specialize in advanced engineering and prototyping, which have been crucial to our success in the EV market, as well as other next-generation technologies that are being developed in the USA. They're a small site, but they enabled our wins in the pipeline in a lot of our EV-related products, since a lot of the development in the space is really centered in the USA, particularly, you know, the... California and Silicon Valley. So the investments that we will deploy will expand its capacity and technological capabilities and will enable it to manufacture small-scale mass production projects within the USA. We believe these investments will enable us to improve our market share in next-generation platforms within the North American region. Got it. A lot of things to be excited about for IMI in the North American region, specifically Mexico, California, Silicon Valley. Got it. Yeah. So. One of our last question is, of course, apart from higher raw material costs, are there any other key risks that the company is on the lookout for? Right. As I mentioned, raw material costs really are the biggest cost component for IMI. But with markets recovering, it also means other manufacturing companies apart from IMI will also start to ramp up activities in the regions we're located in. We're keeping an eye on the labor markets in Europe, Mexico, and China. Because we're starting to see a more competitive labor market environment in these regions. And, you know, this has started to elevate labor costs and increase employee attrition in these countries. We've always implemented policies that empower our employees. Free learning programs are available and some employee rotation across our many sites across the globe provide valuable learning opportunities that we're really proud of and encourage employees to take advantage of. Aside from direct material costs, we're keeping an eye on direct labor expenses as well. Got it. Actually, when we talk to companies, not only in, on the podcast, but like private conversations, they also mention that the labor cost, the wage cost is an issue also in terms of one of the keys that they're looking out for. So, of course, for listeners, for clients, be watchful of that risk because that, of course, impacts companies' margins moving forward. And I guess to add more to that, Aside from keeping an eye on direct labor costs, we're also starting to implement automized and robotized manufacturing processes in our plants as well. So this will help alleviate some of the pressure we're facing from the labor front where we can make machines perform where we initially needed direct labor to help us. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, cost efficiency is definitely one of the targets of listed companies right now because yung, I think it's in terms of margins, right? Because a lot of investors here are just taking a look at sometimes the, the revenues, but 
given this current operating environment that we are in, margins is one key indicator that separates the men from the boys. Right, the right, list, exactly. The listed companies. So yeah, so thank you, Brian, for answering all our questions. Definitely a lot of our listeners here will already know a lot more about IMI. So do you have anything to say to all IMI investors out there as well as those planning to invest into IMI for the long term? Sure, yeah. Thank you for your interest in IMI and thank you to the First Metro Tech team for you know giving us the opportunity to speak on their podcast. We're very excited about the future. We believe we've positioned ourselves early as a vital cog in producing next generation technology. We believe that we'll be able to take advantage of our expertise in the coming years as the market sub-segments that we've invested in early really start to take off. And though IMI is headquartered in the Philippines, we're well diversified geographically with presence in China, Europe, and North America, as we discussed earlier. This allows us to be a truly global player, able to provide technology solutions to the biggest key players in the industry. We're able to provide the same process, the same level of quality and reliability across several different markets in the world. And I think that's one of the factors that really sets apart IMI, that we're not just a Filipino company. We're proudly headquartered in the Philippines, but we're truly a global player in the electronics manufacturing services space. Thank you, Mr. Brian Halihali, Global Head of Investor Relations, Business Development Finance of IMI Integrated Microelectronics, Inc. So thank you. And this has been uh, Roy Aguilar, Department Head of Retail Research. Another great episode featuring a corporate guest. And keep in mind, guys, with First Metro Securities, it's your future first. So thank you and see you next time. Thanks for listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to follow us to get first dibs on our new episodes. For more up-to-date market news and info, exclusive content, and the opportunity to connect with your fellow Filipino investors and traders, join facebook.com slash groups slash firstmetrosec and be part of the First Metrosec family. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.